0: Thanksgiving week, it's, uh, I was uh, noting something, I, I didn't dig enough to have verification on this, but I saw something somewhere in the last few days that said that, of course, we all understand, most of us understand that Thanksgiving, we celebrate Thanksgiving as a result of a presidential proclamation uh, from, uh, from in our country, but we are only one of three countries in the world that celebrate Thanksgiving. And I think that that may still be true. I know it was true at one time. I'm not absolutely certain that that's verifiable. But uh, the point of the matter is, it's, it, it is a celebration that is unique to our country. And, uh, and so I know that you're going to be gathering together with friends and neighbors and, and family members, and, and uh, you're going to have time where you're uh, sharing food and fellowship. I, I just think it's always important for us who love God, who are devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to recalibrate ourselves, and to refocus ourselves on on what the Bible speaks to us and from a thanksgiving, grateful heart standpoint that we should just kind of get our fix and get our orientation to that, all right? So what i want to share with you this morning is my message is entitled, A Grateful Heart, A Psalm of Thanksgiving. Now, immediately you might go, well, which one's he going to pick? Well, you're right. There are a lot of psalms of praise and thanksgiving in the Bible, all right? But for this morning, I've selected one, which is Psalm chapter 138 for us to look at and to enjoy together. Psalm 138, and I'm going to read the entire psalm to you. I, I, I have found that the different versions and translations of this particular chapter are each pretty different in this case. So I'm going to be using the New International Version. You can look at your Bibles or on your devices and read along with me if you would like. So there's a lot of wonderful things that we want to capture, and we'll talk about this morning from Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, little G, I will sing your praises. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. And though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. And with your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. You know, there's different kinds of psalms there're some psalms in which we find David and the other psalmists riding out of places of despair there's certain psalms that you read it and you're like oh man i i'm depressed <laughs> wow that was that, that was pretty uh pretty revealing i mean the psalmist is really struggling isn't it good that god lets us see the the psalmist uh, king david and others that are struggling with certain things right but then we find that there's most of the psalms are provide us a, a note of thanksgiving and a note of praise and worship towards God. Some of the psalms are actually written not only by David, but even some of the minstrels and the musicians and the lead worship leaders of Israel. And so we find many wonderful psalms, And but there are a few psalms that really stand out to us as what I would call ultimate expressions of praise. And that's what this one is. This is one of those psalms that is an ultimate expression of praise towards God. So what I would like to do is King David just <clears throat> goes off in Psalm chapter 138, I would like to suggest to you four truths, very simple, hopefully memorable truths that you can take and you can appreciate them, value them, and hopefully practice them as well. So four truths from this psalm that I just read. You ready for these? Number one. Number one, the Lord is God. Number one, the Lord is God is God. You will notice that even in verse one, it starts off by saying, I praise you with all my heart before the gods. I will sing your praise. What is he doing? Immediately, David is acknowledging the fact that there are other little G gods around, that there are people who are worshiping idols still. And yet david of course as a as one who is a follower of Jehovah, follower of yahweh he's saying, "Lord, I am praising you, even though there are a lot of other people that are that are bowing down to their gods to their idols. Uh, there were those still in in the land and even those in foreign lands that surrounding Judah and Israel who were still worshiping foreign gods and so David is making it very clear here the Lord is." God, I will praise you with all my heart before, even in front of the other gods. I like that. Isn't that bold? Just right in the face of idols, I'm going to sing praise. I wish we were so... That, that we were so uh, inspired to do that. That we're not moved by by being intimidated by the idolatry that is so rampant in our world today. And by the way, you might say, oh, well, that was fine back then. They had other little gods and all. They had little statues and they had all these other gods that they worshipped. They had their Baals. They had their Asherah poles and stuff like that. That's really not relevant today, really? Are you telling me that we don't have idols today? Maybe not graven images in that sense, but let me tell you what, and regardless of whatever culture you're in in the world today, I haven't been in any culture around the world where I haven't seen idols of one kind or the other. It just so happens that the idols of the Western civilization are a little different. We could name a few of them, couldn't we? Maybe we ought to name materialism as an idol, as a little g-god. Some people seem to be totally concerned and wrapped up. Their whole life is about gaining what they can get and the money that they can possess. And many people would do anything to get it. Wouldn't you say that qualifies as a little g-god? I think we could also say that intellectualism is also a god, clearly a dominant God of this world. It is a worldly idol that some people bow. Everything is bowing to the intellectualism and to the rationalism of this particular society. So I want you to remember, uh, David here is comparing his God, Yahweh, with all the other little g-gods. And he's saying, listen to me, there is only one God. And then skip down to verse 4, and he repeats it in some ways. He says, may all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord when they have heard your word, or when they have heard what you've decreed. So what he's saying is, even all the kings. How many of you know some kings and presidents and prime ministers think they're God? I mean, we have our share of narcissistic leaders. There's a share of megalomaniacs that are sitting on thrones in in countries all around the world. So David is saying, right there, in the face of kings, the kings of the earth, may all the kings, he said, even them, they ought to be praising you. Now, we all know that not all the kings of the earth do praise God, right? They don't all acknowledge who the true Lord God is. But he's saying they ought to. And in Psalm 96, I love this, in verse 3 to 5, he underscores this in another psalm. He says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Did you hear that? He is to be feared above all. All gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. That's a good way to distinguish between a false god and the true god. True God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Shouldn't we be in great admiration of the Lord, the creator, for the beautiful earth that he's given to us? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we look into the skies and we see the planets scattered through the universe. And we ought to give praise to God. Only God. Look, that idol can't do that. No other God does that. God is the creator who has given us magnificent blessings on this planet. Of beautiful landscapes from, from seas and oceans to beautiful mountains and landscapes. We are so blessed. All you have to do is do just. A little bit of travel. You don't have to travel. Just go online. Look at all the beauty of the world that God has created. And that is a distinguishing mark of the true God. He is the creator of the earth, not these other little gods. Notice that David makes it very clear that the way we ought to praise him is how? With a whole heart. What he's really saying is, with my whole heart, God, with my whole heart, I want to give you praise today. Repeatedly, he uses the same thing, uh, David, in other Psalms. We know that Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and of me, I will bless you. Is that what it says? Yeah. Come on, y'all can help me out today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. In other words, he's saying, half hearted worship, half hearted praise isn't acceptable. God deserves more than that. What, is, what does wholehearted praise look like? Wholehearted praise involves and includes every part of your being. God has created us as a spirit. We have a mind, emotion, and will, and we live in a body. And it's amazing to me how upset and offended people get when people want to worship God expressively using their emotions, their minds, and maybe even their bodies, and people, oh, I don't know, I don't worship God that way. Well, when I read the Bible, it says we ought to worship Him and praise Him with all our heart, all of our being. True worship is wholehearted and involves every aspect of your being. God has created us as both intellectual, cognitive, and emotional and effective people. That means true worship is going to involve your mind. But it's also going to involve your emotions. Americans, you don't have to be afraid of that. Okay? You don't have to be afraid of that. That's how God's created us to be. And He's also expects us, I think, if it's truly in the heart, if it's wholehearted, don't you think possibly it's going to express itself through our body? Why do you think the Lord ordains the lifting of hands in worship, the thrusting of our hands out in prayer and in worship? laying, bowing. He talks about bowing before the Lord. Do you see that there's a physical side as well as it starts where? Right here in the heart. I love Psalm 100 so much that we could say in it, but it says this in verse 2 and 3. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. I love this verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. Yeah. Know it. Saddle it. Accept it. The Lord is God. It is he who has made us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The first truth I want you to get is the fact that the Lord, Yahweh, is God. Now, by the way, from a Christian New Testament perspective, New Testament believers, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is God. We need to remember and never question the the deity of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the Bible, and maybe one of the most, Uh, profound places in the Scripture says, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of that Logos, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and goes on in verse 14 to kind of bring it on home and says this, the Word became flesh. It's the incarnation. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. John says, we've seen the glory. We've seen the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Where did He see it? Where have we seen it? Through Jesus. So please remember, we talk about the Lord being God, that Jesus Christ is God, and so just never question and only reserve this for some, just an Old Testament version of God, but we know that God is the Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, the Lord, is God. "The Lord is God?" Number two: second truth. This is simple. God is good. When I was a child, my sisters and I were trained by my parents to say grace before every meal. By the way, I think it's a good practice. I find a lot of Christians don't do that these days. Um, they, they just plow right through their meal, never think to give thanks. Uh, you say, "Well, I, I don't subscribe to traditions. I think that's a good one. Anyway, when I was a child, my parents, uh, before we were able to articulate great depths of thought in our prayers, uh, they made it simple for us. And so there were some prayers, three or four of them, that we would pray in unison as a family. And uh, I'm sure you've heard of one of the more simple ones. that simply says what? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. How simple is that? So we'd all hold hands around our dinner table and we'd say that God is great, God is good. We were declaring, little did I know, we were making profound theological statements in our (laughs) prayers (laughs) over the meal. God is good. God is good. That is an attribute of God. We know that God is good because of who he is. Not what he does so much is who he is. We need to remember that intrinsically, inherently, God is simply good. It is his nature to be good. He is more than just what we think of as good. We might say, wow, that candy bar was good. That's not the same kind of good we're talking about here. But God is good. Yeah. And then we see exactly the psalmist explains the goodness maybe in the most powerful way that he could in saying this. In verse 2, he says, I'll bow down toward your holy temple. I'll praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Another translation says, that, and your truth. I want to highlight that word that in the NIV is described as unfailing love. It is probably the most, one of the most dominant words and themes of all of the Bible, and in particular revealed in in this particular Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word, translated here in the NIV as unfailing love, is the Hebrew word chesed. And it's a word that is interestingly translated and transliterated in numerous ways. Sometimes you find uh, the word loving kindness is actually used. That's that's the best explanation, I think, of it. It is loving kindness. Unfailing love. Sometimes you'll find it described as loyal love. Um, uh, Sometimes you'll find it as mercy. Sometimes you'll find all these different words that basically refer to the same thing. Here's the idea. Chesed is the idea of someone's faithful love, God's faithful love in action. And this refers to the Old Testament... It's used to refer to God's loving kindness that's expressed in his covenant relationship with Israel. That's really important to know. It is based on covenant. It is covenantal love. If something is covenantal, that means you can count on it. You can go to the bank with that. You can live on that. Especially, you know, covenant's only as good as the parties that make the covenant, make the agreement. Can you imagine that if you have a covenant with God? Think that's reliable or not? Absolutely reliable. So God is saying, I have loving kindness towards you and the covenant love that he had towards the the, the Israelites. God has uh, has, uh, denoted persistent and unconditional tenderness, kindness, and mercy. He wants to show this in a relationship with us and he seeks after you and me with that kind of loving kindness. Chesed is expressed both in God's loyalty uh, to his covenant, his word, but also his love for his people. And he's faithful in truth to keep his word. I just picked out three words there that just kind of unpack a little bit about what this loving kindness word means here that that, uh, David highlights. It, It has to do with unfailing love. When we say that love is unfailing, what does that mean? You can count on it. it, it it's not going to fail. Uh, one day you're not going to wake up, and all of a sudden God's not going to be uh, show loving kindness towards you. It's an unfailing love. Circumstances don't affect it. Your ups and downs in life aren't going to affect it. His loving kindness will be consistent and eternal. It's unfailing love. It's also unfailing unending love. It goes on and on and on and on. It doesn't get turned on one day and switched off the next. You can count on his unending loving kindness towards you. All that is so important. It gives me great peace and rest to know that God is loving kindness that just keeps on and never ends. His loving kindness. Did you notice that his loving kindness in Scripture is also unconditional? Do you think his loving kindness disposition changed when the Israelites were rebellious? No. Do you think that because of our performance, you say, you know, I really, today, this week, I just didn't live for God. Do you think that all of a sudden God's going to fall off the throne and no longer be loving kind? That he's going to stop loving you? That doesn't mean he approves of everything that we do, but there's a difference between approval and acceptance. I, I I didn't used to approve of everything my kids did, but I never stopped loving them. Do you see the difference? God is a loving, kind, unconditionally loving God. It's not based on performance. It's based on who He is. He is good. Can you say it with me? God is good. Say it with me. God is good. Oh, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. That gives us a, a Christian New Testament perspective on this unfailing love, this loving kindness. It says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. What an expression of loving kindness. That Christ died for us when? Not after we turned to it. Not after we proved ourselves worthy. Not after all of a sudden we cleaned up our lives. Now, he's gonna, now he saves us. But what? Christ died for us while we were rebellious. While we were running the other direction. While we were spitting in his face. While we were cursing using his name. He still loved us so much that Christ died for us as Romans 5.8 describes. Y'all hearing me this morning? Number three, God is great. Third truth. The Lord is God, God is good, God is also great. God is good because of who He is. God is great because of what He does. He's not just good, He's great. His works, His deeds are powerful, magnificent, and we need to make sure that we grasp them. And I don't know that I've done justice, but I've just listed five things that, I think you can pick up here from Psalm 138 that speak to his greatness, the things that he does that are highlighted in this psalm. For example, the first one is, he answers my prayers. In verse 3, David said, when I called, you answered me. Isn't it good to know that God's a God that answers prayer? When you cry out to him, and whether it's a desperation cry, or whether it's just a simple petition or a simple prayer, we know that God answers prayer. That's why. He's great. He just does that. That's who he is. He is consistently answering our prayers. He hears us, and he answers our prayers. Now, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, in James chapter 5, oh, there's plenty of scriptures we could use to demonstrate the effect how, how effectual prayer is. But in James chapter 5 and verse 16, we know the Bible says, the, the earnest, hot prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Do you know your prayers, if you're earnest and faithful in praying, will produce wonderful results. Some of you have been praying for someone for a long time. Don't give up. Because why? Because God is great. And He answers prayers. He answers prayers. I was thinking about people who I've had the privilege of shepherding and pastoring who are standing and believing for their spouse to be saved. And I've watched people serve God, go after God with all their heart, praying for their spouse for 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, And many of them stay in marriage through that whole time and just believe for their salvation. And amazingly, how God will hear and answer those prayers. I remember years ago, um, Carrie, our boys were young at the time, and Carrie had started having a lot of abdominal pain and didn't know exactly what it was, went to the doctor, and and the intensity of her pain and the diagnosis showed that she had gallstones. If any of you have ever had gallstones or kidney stones, you can just say, ouch, right now, you know. Painful, painful. She was going through it. And uh, so the doctor said, well, we really have no choice. You know, they did scan and found that there was all these gallstones that needed to be removed. They said, you know, if we don't remove them, you're going to have to suffer through this. And so we're like, yeah, okay, let's get them out. And so uh, we set the surgery date. It was an outpatient surgery date. But uh, before that, I said, "Honey, we just need to really be praying. We need we need to pray that God's going to dissolve these gallstones, uh, with or without your appointment. We just need to pray." And so we—I remember—we gathered together the elders of the church that I was leading at the time. They anointed her with oil. We prayed over Carrie. We asked him just ask God to dissolve those gallstones. So we went ahead and went through with the uh, the appointment and went into the doctor and had the had the uh, doctor come out after a short, brief time. And I thought, wow, that was easy and quick. He came out and said, sir, uh, Mr. Hill, um, he looked at me just kind of this strange look, and I said, is she all right? he said, yeah, not only is she all right, we couldn't find any gallstones at all. They were gone. I don't know, over here I have this that says, I'm looking right here, I see a bunch of gallstones, but today they were gone, totally gone. Well, we knew who had done that. Why? Because God answers my prayers. Amen. He's a God that answers our prayers. The second thing we can see here that proves to us that God is great is is David clearly says this, the the phrase in verse 3 in the NIV, the way it's phrased is, you greatly emboldened me. You have greatly emboldened me. It's an interesting phrase. It it literally means to make strong strong internally uh, with strength and confidence to strengthen you internally with his encouragement that results in confidence and strength. Now, however you want to say it, it sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. You know why? Because God wants us to be bold and confident. He wants his people to be confident. But sometimes we need to make sure we know he can embolden us and make us confident even when we're facing things that are intimidating, we're facing circumstances that are not good. We're in we're in situations in life that that we we can't quite figure out to be able to know that God will strengthen me with confidence. He'll make me strong on the inside. He will work on the inside of me and he will give me confidence to be able to go through what I'm going through with my eyes on him and I will boldly declare that God is going to be faithful to me during that circumstance. Well, I remember um, a church that I was asked to pastor. Uh, most of the churches in the years that I've been in full-time ministry have been churches I've pied There was one church that was an existing church, and I, was, I really felt God say that I was to uh, pastor that church, and so uh, agreed to, to pastor the church, and the first six to nine months of, the, of my tenure there were, were met with great resistance, and... Uh, and basically, it was because God was stirring stuff up and things were changing. It was a 15-year-old church, and everybody kind of liked it the way it was. And uh, I wasn't trying to make them mad; it was just that's just you know, what was going on. And it got a few people really upset. Some people just said, "Oh, we'll leave." And I was like, "I'll leave. I'll just go right on. <clears throat> Y'all are in too much trouble anyway. Y'all just go right on." But seriously, there was about three attorneys in the church. Who were absolutely determined that they were going to get rid of me as the pastor, and so they concocted a scheme that was accusing me of uh, that I was a part of this huge conspiracy and had come in to take the church and do all this kind of crazy stuff. And uh, they said, you know, he he's from Texas, you can't trust Texans. What well, we all know that's true, you know. <laughs> so uh, they said he's moved here to do this, 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 and it was all this. This weird conspiracy stuff, where they they started filing lawsuits against me, and I'm like, I didn't sign up for this, you know, man, I didn't I didn't want any part of this. Next thing I know, they're threatening to put on the front pages. I got a call from Virginia Pilot uh, wanting to wanting to do a report on it. I'm like, oh, this has just gone way too far. And I remember, in a moment of great discouragement, I was just praying, and the Lord just said. If you allow me to, I will give you the boldness. I'll strengthen you and give you the boldness and confidence to walk through this. And I said, all right, Lord, because I don't have it in myself. You're going to have to help me through this. And the Lord is just like he just rose up on the inside of me. I was able just to strongly kind of duck my head, lower my head, walk through that. And uh, the Lord just gave us favor. And the the opposition finally just dismissed. They said, it's not worth it, not worth our money and all of our efforts. This guy's stubborn. He's going to stay. And uh, they all left. And I was like, hallelujah. And then God just poured out his spirit on that church and blessed it in many, many different ways. But I tell you, when I think back about that opposition, only God could have strengthened me with confidence. And that's a good word for us. Another great thing that proves what he does here that shows us that God is great is the scripture says he preserves my life in verse 3. When I called, you answered. I'm sorry, not verse 3. Skip down to verse 7, sorry. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. Do you see that? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. That's an interesting word that NIV uses the word preserve. Some translations use the word, you revive me. Some even say, you save me. It's the idea, in my mind, it's the idea of God providing deliverance and preservation for us in the midst of our trouble. I don't know about you, but I've been in trouble before. Anybody here been in trouble before? And the Bible tells me that the Lord, the Lord is a present, not absent, not distant, He is a present help, In times of trouble. All of us here have been in trouble before. And we need to know that this is a part of what makes God great. He will preserve, revive, save our lives when we're in a fix. Also in verse 7, I think it's clear that it suggests to us that he also protects us. You notice that at the end of it it says, He not only preserves my life, but you stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. And he goes on, it's, it's talking about the deliverance, the protection, and the deliverance that God gives. Uh, you know, we, we need to appreciate and value and thank God that he's a God that will protect us from harm. No harm will come near you. And that the, that the enemy, that we have authority over the enemy and over his strategies. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Amen? And we need to remind ourselves that he's a God that protects us. Finally, uh, he fulfills his promises. In verse 8, in verse 8, he clarifies, and he actually several times throughout the, the chapter, but he says, the Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Uh, God's word will be fulfilled. When he makes promises, earlier in the chapter, I read he said, you have so exalted your solemn decree he talks about the decree of God. He's speaking about the promises and the word of God that God gives, the truth of God's word and his decrees. Listen, when God says something, you can count on it. When God makes a promise and you can see the promise in God's word or even promises the Holy Spirit speaks to you deeply inside, you can count on it. Why? Because God is great. I love the, the actual, uh, uh, in one translation, it uses this language. It says, uh the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Is there anything today concerning you? He says he'll perfect it. In other words, he'll take care of it. He'll, he'll take charge of it. He will help to get you through it. I love, I, one of my favorite verses is Philippians chapter 1 of verse 6. that says that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He's going to finish it. If he started it, he's going to finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to bring about it fully. Yes, God is great. Amen? Amen? have one more truth for you. Number four, God deserves our grateful thanks. You take the sum of this psalm in 138, what it's really establishing is this is David's ultimate praise towards God and what he's, he's leaving us with a summary conclusion that is not difficult to make, and that is, wow. The Lord is God. God is good. God is great. I have no choice but to what? Praise Him. Thank Him. I need to have an attitude of gratitude. I don't need to be a complainer and a murmur. I need to be one that's overflowing with thanksgiving towards God. Psalm chapter 33, verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. Over and over and over again, the psalmist reminds us of the value of being a grateful, thankful, praising people. We have reason to do it. And this psalm reminds us so clearly. So, to review... Four truths. The Lord is God. God is good. God is great. And God deserves our grateful thanks. This Thanksgiving as you gather together with friends and family, can I remind you it's not just about the food? Can I remind you it's not about who wins the ball game? Can I remind you that it's not about crazy Uncle Harry, although I'm sure he's crazy. I want to remind you to give thanks to the one who truly deserves it. Do you hear me this morning? Could you stand to your feet with me? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you, specifically for those of you that say, Lord, man, I need your help. I need for you to show yourself great in my life. And uh, some of us need to repent of complaining and start praising and thanking more. Amen? So let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, our, our, today our hearts are pricked by your spirit to repent uh, where we need to repent, that we would change our heart and our mind, our attitudes where we need to change it. Lord, cause us to be like David. Be like this psalmist who is choosing just to give thanks right in the in the face of stuff, in the face of idols, in the face of problems, help us to be that kind of grateful people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, here's what we're going to do. Uh, it, we're going to have our, our special offering, and I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it, so uh, ushers, y'all can bring those baskets up so I can kind of explain what we're going to do here. We're going to have our special offering. It's a celebratory offering. At the end of the offering, I'll release you with a blessing, and then prayer teams can come up, and you'll be available for prayer and ministry for people that have special needs. You want prayer for something specifically, I encourage you to come and let them agree with you. All right? So here's how we're going to wrap up with this special offering today. Uh, I've traveled to uh, the continent of Africa. Ooh, let's see. I've I've lost count of all of them. It has to be close to... 38 to 40 specific trips over the years, all right? So if there's one thing I've noticed, Africans know how to take an (laughs) offer. What I mean by that is African style, offerings African style, are always full of energy, celebration, and there's no plate passing. They march and dance while they give, all right? So there's always someone. Just like see, we've replicated today. We've got these teams we've got these big. Uh, listen, y'all cannot accuse me of small faith. Do you see this big, okay? Big, big baskets. All right. So we're gonna place uh, the ushers with these baskets in front of each section, and then uh, we have ushers that are gonna give direction to you and kind of help to get the flow going the right way. And you're going. Each going to come out. And if and if you say, "Well, I already gave online. I don't have anything in my hand." That's fine. Come without anything in your hand, or take one of those cards or envelopes. Just write on an online gift. And take it in your hand, so you have something to give, and you can drop it there in the basket. That'll be just fine. All right. No one feels pressured. No no no, no hands or arms are being twisted. It's our way to celebrate with this special legacy gift. We're going to give it with joy, and uh, we're going to play some music for you just to be. Uh, joyful about and dance if you want to do a little dancing that's fine. If you want to do a little shouting, that's fine. Uh, all of that will be allowed. Just don't look dead. All right. Don't look <laughs> don't look bored. Don't look mean. Don't don't do that. All right. And I'll be up here watching your faces. All right. So so what we're gonna do is uh we're gonna play some music and then we're we're gonna just pray right now over the offering and, and you're gonna march out as the ushers direct you to aisle by aisle, return to your seats We'll have a closing declaration of blessing over you, and then uh, we'll have our prayer teams come. All right, good enough. Can you hold your offering up? We'll pray over them all at one time, and then we'll let you march and give. Lord, we're so thankful that we can give freely, liberally, cheerfully. Lord, I thank you for the, the, the pledges that we are making for the next three years, also the one-time gift that we're making for this day uh, to take this important step of faith Uh, Lord, towards more of our legacy that we believe that you have in store for this church. So, Lord, we give you all praise. I thank you, Father, that that no seed sown uh, will come unreturned, but you'll return it to us uh, a hundredfold, Lord, we pray. And, Lord, uh, so we dedicate this offering to you now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.